all the five of the projects that you run is going to be an epic failure. But the fifth one is the one that's going to actually yield more money and more value for the other four. The main thing is you shouldn't go through the same process in terms of how we're handling it. So you need to be explicit and actually explain it in business terms why we're doing what we're doing. If we can't do that, then it is just another technology thing we're trying to learn. Welcome to the Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Is the role of data scientist still a sexy job, or has it lost a bit of its luster? And what's more important for successful data leaders, deep data knowledge or business savvy? Daniel Seymour is the head of information technology emeritus for InvestTech, a bank that is delivering out-of-the-ordinary insights in the world of finance to help its customers create and manage wealth. One of Daniel's career-guiding principles is to question the conventional. And on this episode of The Data Chief, he sheds light on some of these questions and shares how he is continuing to live by this principle to help InvestTech modernize its data capabilities. Daniel and Cindy also discuss why the only constant in life is change which means businesses must place a larger emphasis on upskilling workforces. Lastly, the two dive into why domain expertise might be the most important skill for any data leader. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people from companies like Walmart, Hulu, Schneider Electric, Cloud Academy, and Mercado use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. You can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. This week on The Data Chief, I'm pleased to welcome Daniel Seymour from around the world, Investec. Daniel, welcome. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for having me. And where are you joining us from, Daniel? I'm... Currently in sunny South Africa, uh, more closely to Johannesburg, which is more in the center of the country, and currently sitting at home, like most people in the rest of the world, working from home. Yes, working from home. And I know times are a little chaotic right now in Johannesburg or in South Africa in general. So yeah, best wishes to everyone in the country there. Hopefully by the time this podcast airs, maybe things will have stabilized by then. Absolutely. We also hope by then that everything should be settled back into the normal way of being. Yeah. So Daniel, Investec, for those that are not familiar with this brand, tell us a little bit about Investec. Investec is a private bank. Uh, It's one of the smaller banks within South Africa. Uh, Our client base is very niche based. So think a bit about uh, more your professional type of uh, um, client base. So very specifically focus on uh, private banking uh, product suite. Uh, we do service a couple of uh, corporate investment banks as well. So there's definitely a corporate arm to it. We've got branches across, you know, Asia. We've got branches in 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 the UK. Uh, but predominantly, the private banking component is sitting with an SA in the UK content. Um, our client base, you know, very small. Like I said previously, it's only a very niche market. Um, you need to earn a certain amount of money or have a certain amount of assets in order to be banking with with Investec. Right. And from what I understand, it's also a very innovative bank. You re- it's referred to as a high-tech and high-touch experience. What does that mean? How does that translate for a customer? 
Thanks, Cindy. That's probably one of the nicest things about Investec is that we've never had any branch footprint ever. So if you look at it, if you think about what is quite unique, even in the, the earlier years, and I'm talking about the 1980s and 90s, that we didn't have any branches. So it has been very much focused around technology. How do we engage with clients? But also to keep the human aspect to it. So um, in terms of the way that we engage is very much focusing on our client base um, to the human and then trying to facilitate how we actually can help them achieve their long-term goals. So there's a saying within investing, we don't live off society, we live in society, and we use technology in order to facilitate this entire conversation and also the servicing that we're giving to our end clients. Right. And so what's interesting, Daniel, we look at the last year when some, let's say, traditional banks um, that have their branches, they were slow for their digital transformation. They had to accelerate their digital transformation. And yet you've always been a digital bank. How has this jumpstart helped you in the industry? And then maybe now has the gap closed in the last year or do you still have that first mover advantage i think we, we've never been a first mover type of bank but we've definitely leveraged some of the capabilities that's out there um, and we actually could leapfrog a lot of these capabilities because we didn't have a branch network so the main thing is since the lockdown that has really materialized a couple of things that we want to focus on and it accelerated it quite extensively is that we even Prior to the lockdown, we started looking at how do we actually work from home on a more permanent basis? How do we digitize the workforce? So it actually came, it got accelerated, but it actually came at just at sort of the time when we as a bank started thinking, how do we actually start doing these things a little bit differently? So during the lockdown, if you think about it, within a week or two, we were actually up and running the entire bank across the entire world. Everyone actually got the access um, in order to do these type of communications is similar to these type of interactions. So it's been quite helpful to accelerate it, but it's always been on the cards. I think there's a lot of banks that actually were thinking in this direction, but they didn't think it's going to materialize, you know, within a couple of weeks or months. Yeah. Yeah. And so nothing like a, a pandemic to force innovation or new ways of working. Yeah. Now, Daniel, if we go back, so you've been with Investec four or five years, originally as the head of business intelligence, now as the head of information technology, but you started your career in this space as a data scientist. Tell us how you made this journey from a statistician to really now a leader in a very important sector. My leadership roles has actually been prior to Investec as well. So I think that the main thing around this is that a lot of the things that we're doing, there's leadership capabilities that needs to come through when you actually, even the data science field as well. So you need to be able to present a lot of the, the findings. You need to engage with people. It's much more people-based. So a lot of these things are actually a lot of skill sets that um, suited well for the next level, the next sort of like position in my career. Um, but I think, you know, it's just about timing. A lot of stuff is about timing. You're at the right place at the right time. You're getting exposure and people believe in you. And then based on that, you get an opportunity to grow yourself. I think the biggest and the hardest things for any technical person is to make that transition to move away from a lot of the technical capabilities and actually moving into a leadership role. But that is part of personal growth. And I think that is part of any leader's, leader's growth uh, journey. Absolutely. I do think it's about personal growth. It's also I would say the way that the role has changed. 
And maybe to get your take on this, one of the trends that I wrote about for 2021 is that data science has lost its luster and is no longer the sexiest job. So so you got your bachelor's degree 2003, your MBA more recently. But if you think about when Tom Davenport, DJ Patel said, this is the sexiest job, and yet new graduates coming out now have not come out with this business domain expertise or the ability to communicate the business value of analytics. How have you personally been able to make that transition, but also lead your teams in where they need to build their skills? So I think it's actually a really good question because I think the biggest thing is people think um, data science is just about the algos, right? So the more algos you create, yeah. the better answer you're going to get. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's less than 5% of the entire job. The way that we approach it specifically in our space and I also approach is to say, we need to understand what is happening within your business areas. So the domain expertise is by far the most important thing. You need to understand the problems. You need to understand in terms of what you're trying to solve for. And then also, how do you actually relate that specifically back into a technical solution that can address that specific problem? So it's going through this entire process that is quite generic, you know, in terms of how we need to approach problems. And data science is just another tool in the toolkit that people can use in order to facilitate a lot of these decision-making and solve the problems. But the main thing is still, how do you communicate the answers to the right people? People don't really, it's the same thing. I, I don't really worry how my car works just as long as it works. For mechanical people that are interested, they're worried about it. So I think the main thing is we need to have a lot of empathy with people that are actually sitting with the problems on that side. How do we actually solve and make their lives better? And we're using these specific techniques in order to address those specific problems. But it's not about it's not about the techniques anymore. It's about how do you solve the right problems? Yeah, fully agree. So empathy with the business or the decision maker, but you also said the domain expertise. And this is a hard thing for some people from a more quantitative or computer science background to build up. Is this why you went back and got your MBA after working, I think, 20 years or 17 years? I thought I was bold doing it after eight years. But so is that why you went back? It's actually twofold. So it's one of those things that I wanted to do my entire life and um, always thought, you know, I'll, I'll do it next year. And um, it shows you, you never know, you can plan whichever way you like. So I entered for my MBA, um, started off with the MBA and a month later, you know, the pandemic hit. So it shows you how oh, things wow. actually work out. So um, I think it, it was from a personal perspective, just to say, you know, you don't know what you don't know. Um, there's a whole bunch of other dimensions and domains that you need to understand in order to run a business well. If you understand the technical capabilities of your current role, that's great. But in order to understand how all these things actually fit in together and how you really make a big impact for the business long term, you need to understand all these specific elements that's involved in this entire business or thing that we call business. So it was because of personal reasons, but more predominantly to what are the blind spots? What are the components that I don't know of? And, you know, to any person that's sitting in a technical field, I think suffers from this imposter syndrome every now and again in your career that you think you know you don't know enough and, and, and people might think that you don't know enough. But in the end, it's just a case, how do you supplement your technical knowledge with these business knowledge to really enrich the conversations that you can have with people that's sitting on the business side? And that has been a, a massive, massive benefit for me. 
That's great, Daniel. I think the other thing is that you've also worked in really different but related industries. So to go from different banking, but then also you spent time in the public sector, the South African Revenue Service. Tell us a little bit about that and how that has changed your views and how to use data. So, Cindy, I think um, one of the, the most profound times in my career has been with the South African Revenue Services. Um, I think that is where I learned most of my tricks of the trade, you know, within the analytical space. So it, it was quite an interesting time. And, you know, being in my late 20s, early 30s, getting the opportunity to say, listen, we want to actually change the country. This is where we can have a meaningful impact. So are you keen? And that is why I actually took up the, the role on that side. So um, started up feeling small in terms of how we started in terms of the, the capabilities, but we rolled it up to a fully-fledged analytical capability uh, with a lot of auto- automation, with a lot of risk models and, and forecasting capabilities and, and propensity models that's helping to facilitate you know, the, the collections of revenues for, for the country. That's sort of the, the reason why I should say that it's one of the nicest times of my career in terms of the things that we did. We did some really cool stuff. Um, you might think you're working yeah. in the public in the public sector, you know, that, you know, people are tend to just sit, they sit and do whatever they do. There was really cutting edge stuff that we tried to do there. So that is really exciting time in my career. And, you know, I've always, I always liked different challenges. I think it's about problem solving and how do you actually solve problems from different domains and different areas. That's sort of the thing that keeps me ticking. So that's one of the reasons yeah. why I'm actually moved back into banking. I thought banking needed a change. So that's why I'm here now. Yeah, that's great. So modernizing in government and then applying it to banking. We talk about sometimes how working in the public sector is almost a labor of love or it's that service mindset, but that they're slower to innovate, might not always get the best talent, at least in the U.S. because the pay is lower. We hear this also in the U.K., how do you see the difference between the public and private sector and maybe share one of these really cutting edge things that you introduced there? So I think the difference is exactly that, right? So it's very difficult to compare the salaries between public and the private sector. That's one of the biggest things. But one thing that I've found is if you do things for money only, uh, eventually it's not enough. So it's about what is the long, what is the purpose? What is your purpose and what do you want to contribute to society? So I think most of the people that we actually uh, dealt with and people that work with in the, in the public domain is thinking in that way. How can I contribute to, to the whole? How can I make things better? So that's one of the main things. And I think a lot of the times when you're trying to get good people in, that is sort of the conversations that, that we're having. And funny enough, that's the same conversation that I'm having now with people, even in the banking sector, right? It's not about how skilled you are. It's about the way that you're thinking that's, secret source that you've got, that special thing. And you normally see that in people you know, when you have a conversation, what's driving them. It actually brings me to one of the things that like uh, one of my favorite books from Daniel Fink is actually drive, is what makes people tick and what actually motivates people. So that's one of the things that, you know, after reading that, I said, you know what, now I know exactly what some decisions we are making is because we're doing it for the right reasons. So, so the big thing is you want to get people that are excited about solving problems. What is really getting them excited to actually contribute to something that's greater than just the, the individual? And I think that's why people tend, tend to, to work within the, in, in the public sector. Um, needless to say, funny enough, a lot of the people that work with me and in the public sector is not or in the, the public sector is now working with me in the private sector as well. So it shows you that if you've got a, 
call it a following of people that believe and they believe in terms of what we can do. And you can make a difference, you know, people tend to follow that. So I'm really excited about that. And I'm grateful that people are willing to do that. The other thing that you said is, right, what did we do? I think one of the, the, the coolest things that we did actually, and I'm talking about many, many years ago, was actually to build a propensity model within the debt collection space for SARS, uh, for the revenue services, to determine what's the probability that a person is going to pay the taxes and when is the best time to communicate to them and how to communicate with them. So by doing that, we basically doubled the, the inflow of revenues in a very short space of time and we reduce the manual um, capacity that is needed in order to facilitate that. So, you know, it's same. It's the same problem. So I think it's just the output in terms of what you're driving that is quite quite useful. And yeah, we didn't have all these funky and fancy tools that we had, you know, that we're having now, but still the basic principles are still sound. It's the way that you're solving it is still applicable. I think it's just the technologies is now changing over time. It's making it easier for people to, to implement these type of solutions. Yeah, yeah. So the technology has changed. And and absolutely, I never would have thought about a propensity to pay your taxes at all or on time is something that we need to do. But that that's a good point. And it is it is true. We often do see people follow their leaders to new roles. So some of your team members have followed you to Investec. If you think about this what are the specific things that you do as a leader to unleash that potential of your team members? Is it removing barriers on processes? Is it really figuring out what motivates them as you referred to? Or what are the things you do? So now I think it's a couple of things and each individual is unique. I think the, the main thing is, is that integrity is one of the big things. So you need to do what you do, what you say, you need to say what you do. And um, that's the one thing. Um, from a leadership perspective, I think the the value that people can get in terms of working on something that's bigger than them, that's aligned to a purpose or mission or whatever it is, you know, that's really driving that I'm part of something something big. And I think the thing you want to give people is to say, there's an idea. This is where we want to go. This is sort of blue sky, blue ocean strategy. We really want to get this done, but I need your help. You trust people to fill those roles. So people give them autonomy, you give them purpose, and you give them responsibility and accountability. And I think based on that, if people can grow, they will drive those things. And another thing is pay people fair. I think that's one of the biggest things on my, on, that I'm very specific, specific around is that people need to be paid fairly. It's amazing what you can accomplish in life if you don't really worry about the credit. So who gets the credit? That's one of the big things. But even better, if you don't need to worry about the money, can you imagine the type of decisions and the way that you're going to drive things? So that's a big thing for me. With pay, often people rate that lower than purpose or feeling valued. I think pay comes into play when somebody thinks they've been taken advantage of or they hear that somebody else has been paid more. And, and so that's the tricky part of keeping talent in mm. this very tight labor market. But Daniel, you referred to this blue sky, give them something inspiring to work on. So tell us, what is your blue sky vision for data and analytics at Investec? So, Sydney, so I'm actually going to tell you a different story, then I'll go into the detail, right? So two years ago, three years ago. <laughs> okay. So, so one thing about Investec, we tend to tell stories. That's how we communicate a lot of content and uh, making it just richer. So three years ago, we actually visited California and New York on a trip 
uh, from a technology perspective to have a look at some of the, the fancy companies. We actually uh, went to ThoughtSpot as well. So that's one of the companies we actually visited at that point in time. And I remember the last the last day we were sitting sitting together as so a lot of the, the manager members and a lot of the technology team. And the question that I posted to them, so listen, why do we always need to come to the States to see how things are being done? Explain that to me. Why can't the States come to us? You know, we, we're a bank. We've got the right talent. We've got the right people. It's just about the belief. And also to say, you know what, banking, you know, banking, how much can you really modernize banking? But I think the idea is how do you actually make a meaningful, meaningful impact on either your end client's life as well as your co-worker's life? And I think that is also meaning. That's something that you can change. So I think we've been working on something over the last three years in terms of to, to implement our strategy. And it's actually quite simple in terms of what you're trying to accomplish, you know, but it's got pr- profound impact in terms of the acceleration that it's going to give us over time. And I think it's just a case if people start believing that they can do it, doesn't matter how audacious or how big or how impossible these things sound, you know, it, it shows that people can achieve anything if they put their minds to it and also put dedication and effort to these type of things. So, so that's sort of the story I wanted to tell. So um, I think what we're trying to do within investor terms is to really start putting the high-touch, high-tech, you know, mantra on steroids. So um, there's a lot of really cool stuff that we're trying to do there um, in terms of how we try and enable banking. How do we actually think about banking differently? How do we actually flip a lot of the value propositions on its head? And what other type of markets can we start leveraging in order to actually generate more wealth for our, our client base? There's a lot of great opportunities, specifically in the South African and in, in the international content, right? In terms of all the new technologies that's out there. I'm fortunately not at liberty to say exactly what we're doing, but there's definitely a lot okay, of really, that's really right. nice <laughs> But um, if, if you ever want to come and work for a bank that's cutting edge and it's driving the stuff, it's definitely the place to be at. Okay. And with a view to probably Table Mountain too. So um, <laughs> a beautiful part of the world. So you have this big sky, big blue sky, big visions, innovation, but you've also said that one of the keys is actually just starting a project, simply mm. starting. When you try to tie together strategy, vision, with actually just getting something out the door so people feel engaged and like progress is being made, how do you boil that down to a quick win or just get people started? I think that's a fine line, right? So I think the best thing to do is to start because there's normally the plan that you start with is never the plan that you finished up with. So I think it's a case, how quickly can you- So iterate? true. Yeah, so how quickly can you iterate through all the different permutations and combinations that you're sitting with? And the same thing is, how quickly can you fail to learn, adapt, and then also accelerate the next step? It's not that we're a bunch of cowboys, so we don't just kick off things. So the, I think the main thing is you need to do some planning. Like There needs to be a clear understanding of what you're trying to achieve and what you're trying to solve for. So um, in terms of the, the way that we're trying to approach this, to really understand what we're trying to get um, out of this specific initiative. And then if there's quick wins, clearly we will try and execute it, but not to the detriment of the long-term plan. And I think that is quite crucial because a lot of the times what people do is they look at the quick wins and that normally means either you're creating technical debt or there's workarounds in order to get to the quick wins. So I think just as long as you can stick to your processes as well as your agreed patterns and frameworks and everything and how you want to solve it, and these quick wins, that's a massive thing. But you need to start. The quicker you can start, the quicker you can learn, the quicker you can adapt. 
Yeah. So start quickly, but then your point about workarounds is relevant. But you also said the plan that you envision may be different in the end. So is it a matter of also adjusting the strategy as you go along? Absolutely. I think uh, hindsight is a perfect science, right? So everything is sort of known after the fact. So you have to adjust your strategies. I think that that's the approaches that you take still needs to align in terms of the, the greater vision and, and that you're trying to accomplish. The strategies that you implement in order to get there can change and it will change. You know, it's the same thing. Um, I know two years ago, or even call it seven years ago, someone got asked, where do you see yourself in five years? Everyone in the entire world got it wrong because everyone is sitting in lockdown. Yeah. So I think the main thing is there's things that you can plan for and things that you can't. So, and you need to be adaptable. It's not just for the sake of process and strategy that you execute it. It needs to be something, you know, you're living in it. There's a lot of unpredictability around it. So how do you adapt in order to align to your longer term objectives? How are you going to achieve that? So Daniel, you're also innovating and deploying um, more modern technologies, leveraging the cloud. Can you tell us a little bit about the technical innovations and how you view this? Yeah, Sunny, I think, you know, tech is always an enabler. I don't think that's the purpose while we're doing things. The focus for us at the moment is really trying to get our cloud environments up and running. So as a bank, we've also made a very aggressive and bold movement is to say we want to move cloud and we want to move uh, our applications into a cloud environment where it makes sense. You know, so it's not just a, you know, gun how everything needs to be in the cloud where it makes sense. So I think that the big thing there is we know this is going to give us cadence of um, cadence of delivery. So increase in pace in terms of how we can actually get things done. But also, once again, that means that a lot of the stuff needs to be re-architect from the ground up in order to be um, executionable within a cloud cloud environment. So within the data environment, uh, we as a bank for the first time ever decided we're going to pull all the data environments together into one with very clear understanding in terms of how we need to uh, architect this um, as a group. And this is now exactly what we're trying to install. And um, we're trying to leverage as much, much of the SaaS capabilities as possible. I think a lot of people think, you know, but if you start doing that, you sort of, you ingrain into a specific software provider. But if you start thinking about long-term, it takes out a lot of the operational uh, overheads. It takes it out of the equation. So I think it's that the, you get a lot of gains in terms of the long run. Uh, one thing that we also have done is to actually build up a fully-fledged, integrated, um, homegrown deployment pipeline that's there specifically for machine learning and AI models that actually can integrate data environments into frontline applications through a normal framework. And that is that is quite um, unique. So it's very much in line with the this, this stuff that we've uh, heard from other companies, specifically in, in the US side. So the thinking there is that, you know, if, if we start migrating things into the cloud, how do we enable business to keep on running and keep innovating and building these new advanced uh, models out, you know, with, with this migration process happening? And then, of course, on the visualization there, Absolutely. You know, we're trying to enable people to get access to data as quickly and as, 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 as efficiently as possible. So th there's a lot of things happening at the same time while we're re-architecting things at the back end. So it is quite an exciting time in technology at the moment. Yeah, for sure. So you talked about the need to re-architect and that lends itself to then the need for people to upskill, learn new cloud technologies, learn new uh, data platforms, learn new pipeline platforms. 
What is the specific plan you've put in place for this upskilling and how is the team viewing it? Are they excited about it? Do they get overwhelmed or how do you make sure the team's moving forward? So there's always going to be a couple of fast or early adopters in any in any type of new environment. So I think that the, the thing is, as a company, what we've done is we're driving it to give people access to these training courses. Uh, we're trying to, uh, we measure these type of things to see this now. People are actually certified in specific technologies. Uh, we do entice them to try new projects. You know, if there's a new project, you know, and it's on the new capability, we give enough time in the doing to upskill as well. Um, there's a lot of, can I put it, support and uh, structures put in place to facilitate this. So it's not a case that, you know, as an individual, I need to open specific uh, cloud accounts by myself. That thing is there. You've got a sandbox. You've got these capabilities. It's really the environment is there and it's rich enough so that people can go and try out these things. There's a bit of a, a little bit of competition, you know, because everyone now and again say, listen, we've got, we've got, I've got my certification. I've, I've got this certification. So just creating enough sort of uh, um, gamification on top of it, just to say, you know, I'm there, you know, where are you? And it's good. It's good. You know, I think the only constant in life is going to be change and upskilling is something that needs to happen every three to five years, especially in the environment that we're going to go into. So it is good. It's just making sure that you're flexing the, those muscles, right? That you don't get too stiff and, and too flabby. Healthy competition is is a good thing. You also referred to this deployment of the pipelines and operationalizing your machine learning models inside the consumer-facing apps. When you said it's rare, I can give you a data point that Gartner estimated less than 10% of organizations have done that in 2020, but they believe that 50% of enterprises will be operationalizing their AI and, and machine learning by 2025. Do you think that's optimistic or about right? Yeah, so I think it's a bit optimistic, but I'm hoping that if you align it to uh, the cloud capabilities, then it should become easier. I think the only caveat here is that these days it's really easy to do it on cloud. The analogy, once again, that I, that I will use is to say it's really easy to drive a car at 80 miles an hour on a straight highway, right? It becomes difficult when yeah. there's turns and pedestrians on the road. And that normally is when the rubber hits the road, you know, literally. So that is actually when it becomes really fun. So it might be a case that companies have got that, but the operational capabilities is not in place. And that is that is one of the biggest failures normally with these type of models. The models will degradate, you know, they will start to drift. You need to monitor these things on a regular basis and they tend to break. You know, it's not just like normal code. And if you don't have enough people and skills in order to manage that, then it, then it becomes quite interesting. Yeah, and I think they become less relevant as the economic conditions or the customer base changes. Mm. So it's always about updating those models. The other thing that your team has referred to is as you back off that order taker report centric or dashboard centric mentality more to AI generated insights and self-service analytics that the level of conversation has uh, improved to be more business conversations and moving beyond descriptive analytics to really diagnostic and predictive and prescriptive. How have you made that happen? And are the data specialists, how are they feeling about this versus the business people? Yeah, that's a really good question, Sonia. I think you know, change management is, is never easy, especially when it comes to people. 
So I, I think the biggest thing is that in the beginning, it was quite difficult to, to get it across the line because you do need to put the statement out there, you know, what's in it for you? So what's going to be in it for yeah. you? And, and I think when, when we started framing the, the situation like that, to say, you know what, a lot of the things that you're currently doing that you perceive as the value that you're adding is no longer going to be needed. So you need to go to the high-level activities, and these are the high-level activities. So once again, the change management, I'm not talking specifically just internally from a team perspective. And that's sort of like the first step. We wanted to change that. It took a while, uh, but people start to see, and they started seeing, listen, the value that they're adding. Um, and, and also the things that people are working on is no longer just the point in time. It's really thinking about the bigger picture, the bigger things that you can drive in. They also start getting expertise, um, you know, domain expertise in specific fields. So they, they become the go-to person, you know, in terms of understanding these things, but they're enabling so much more than just the one or two questions that people ask them. You know, I think that's the that's the flip that actually the switch that got flipped on is to say, you know what, I'm 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 helping one individual, but the way that I'm doing it is actually helping the entire team because then I'm enabling the entire team now to actually get this insight. You know, and also I'm enabling them to actually go and dig for further insights. So it's becoming much more of a partnership model, which is great. You know. It, it's by far the best thing. The worst thing you want to be in life is just sit back and take orders. So you want to be part oh, of it. Yeah. You want to drive the business. <laughs> exactly. So I think that that's been big in terms of the team content. In terms of the business content, you know, people over time now start seeing you as a partner. They actually come to you and say, we've got this problem. How can we solve it differently? And that also becomes a, a, a good relationship between the two, the two parties in terms of how you actually get additional capabilities up and running. And also that has now also given us the opportunity to actually go into these diagnostic type of things, you know, what, what forward looking type of models can we put in place? You know, what, what is there? Because just thinking about Mas, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, they've got the reporting needs and the data needs sorted, including their Wi-Fi. So now the main thing is now you can look at the next things, right? So now you can look at the, because they're actually willing to look at it. Previously, you could tell them we've got these cool models, but the only thing they wanted is to actually get access to their data. So it is about a maturity with, and it's a maturity model that's now combined between the team as well as the business people. And it's driving that capability even further now. So it's really turned out to, to be a, a partnership instead of just an order taker type of environment. Yeah, so higher value work, bigger impact, a partnership. You did also refer to time. It took some time. Can you elaborate? Was it weeks? Was it months? How long is this mindset shift? So I think for some of them, it was fairly easy. Some of them took a while. Um, so this can take months, right? So I think it depends on the, on the individual. We did try, and I wouldn't say the approach that we took was something to say, we've, we've got a framework or approach that we've defined, and this is how we take people along. But it, it took a period of six months, you know, roughly plus minus, how to get everyone on board. And as I said, some people are on board, you know, and some people are still, you know, sitting on the fence. But I think the proof is in the pudding over time. So the more that you show the things are working, the the less the the cautiousness and the more and the higher the belief. So I think it's just about how do you get people to start engaging with this and seeing the value of it. Um, I know for a fact that people that have actually taken this to heart and start living this way from the analyst, you know, they're flying in terms of what they they're accomplishing and they they can see the value that they're bringing. That's quite rewarding in the end because you can see people are getting more value out of their work than they previously did. Yeah, that's great, Daniel. I'm going to shift a little bit. So that's all positives. But, you know, when we think about failures, you don't shy away from talking about 
failures, but can you share one project or incident that did not go the way you wanted it to? And what did you learn from that? Or how did you navigate past that? So I think that one of the biggest things is, and I'll, I'll try and keep it general, is to say we, we did try and implement a, a new technology suite a couple of years ago. And I think the biggest thing there was that we once again took it from a, a technology perspective as taking lead. You know, nothing wrong with the technology. Absolutely nothing. It's amazing in terms of what it can accomplish. But the, the buying from the right people, you know, weren't there. So I think, once again, as with any business project, okay, if you don't have buying with the right people from day one, if you can't explain why we're doing it in the right terms and you don't have the right uh, metrics of success in place, as well as the right change management uh, processes after you've done the implementation, things are not going to materialize. So we've had, we had right. one or two of those things. So I think, I think the big thing is, and the learning is exactly what I mentioned now, is to say, um, doesn't matter how hard you try, doesn't matter how hard you push a specific thing. If you don't have the buying from the right people, also the right business case behind it, you know, it is, it is, it's doomed for failure from the start. So that's quite expensive school fees. But I think that is a, a, quite a good learning for any person that's sitting in a position that's driving projects or trying to drive new technology. Yeah. So explain the why, get the buy-in, and don't treat it as a technology initiative. In fact, research from New Vantage Partners has said that the reason why organizations fail to become data-driven, only 8% blame it on the technology. But what's hard here, Daniel, is you're in charge of driving innovation. So you know what's possible and somebody recently asked me in a Data Chief live session, said, you know what? A lot of the people we need to get buy-in from, they're an older generation, pre-internet. How do we educate them in the art of the possible or the art of the done? So you can't just sit back and not drive forward. How do you balance this or what do you do so, Cindy, I'm actually going to take it back into just the, the normal thing around data science projects as well. So I think the big thing is that I've explicitly explained this to, to my team as well when you start going through the motions, that for the four, the five of the projects that you run is going to be an epic failure. Okay, But the fifth one is the one that's going to actually yield more money and more value to pay for the other four. So the main thing is it doesn't mean that you shouldn't go through the same process in terms of how we're handling it. So you need to be explicit and actually you know, explain it in business terms, why are we doing what we're doing? If we can't do that, you know, then it is just another technology thing we're trying to learn. Also, I think a big thing is how do we always align to the strategic objectives of the organization, not from a technology perspective, from, from a business perspective? Can we tie directly back to those specific objectives? Because if you can, it makes the selling so much easier because you know exactly, you know, this is something that people already put up as the objectives for the next three or five years. So we know exactly these are the things we're trying to accomplish. And this is how we're actually going to get there. So that makes it really easy in order to do that. And I think that that is, that is still part of the within the current operations um, that you're working in. And you have to have a couple of these projects and these call it success nodges on your belt if you want to go the blue sky thing. And I think that is where the fine line is. You know, if you're a dreamer, you know, like me, um, I like to dream and have big dreams and bold dreams, but no one just listens to a dreamer. You need to have some sort of goodwill. And I think it's in the delivery that you build up, build up goodwill. So it's about how do you actually make people believe that it's 
possible and then say, you know what, these big audacious dreams, we can accomplish it. And this is why. And this is what we're going to do. Yeah, that's so important, Daniel. I often say the data strategy should be aligned to the mission of the organization. When you have that, it's better. But you did use one word that I have to just push back on. Is it an epic failure or is it a small failure that you learned from? (laughs) Well, okay, let's just call it as a small failure that we learned from. But I think, um, (laughs) you know, I'm sure people are always hard on themselves, but I think it's just one of those things that you learn, right? So it's just one of the things you need to go through life. What is it? Failure is just another learning opportunity. So if you, if you start going through life through in, in that mindset, you know, there's a lot of amazing things that can happen. Yeah, that is a great way of viewing things. So Daniel, I also know you're a reader because you already referred to Daniel Pink, Drive. Yeah. But are there other resources, your your favorite book you'd recommend, um, whether it's fun or in this field, but how do you keep up? At this point, it's, I'm not reading a book now because I just finished the MBA, so I'm definitely taking a, a break. I'm doing a lot of uh, sitcoms and stuff with my wife and, and series, you know, just to make up for lost time. But I think books that's really had a big impact on my life, um, top of mind is the books from Malcolm Gladwell. What is it? The Outliers, of course, you know, how do you, outliers, you get yeah. outliers? Another one is Blink, you know, specifically how quickly can people can make a assumption of you either good or bad, you know, that type of thing. That's also uh, something that I'd really like to just how people think. Of course, the other one from Daniel Pink, uh, uh, to sell as human. People think they can't sell stuff. You know, we're selling ourselves and we're selling stuff every single day of our lives. So that's been very insightful. Um, I'm not big on science fiction, even though, um, I have read one or two science fiction books. Um, you know, all-time favorite, of course, is Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption, you know, from Simi. Oh, Brother. yeah, brilliant. Really beautiful one. Yeah. And then um, I think how to keep abreast, you know, I've got a um, a lot of websites that I actually go in, you know, try and get some stuff in from the, what's happening technology-wise. I'm a big fan of Peter Diamandis, uh, Bandits 360 as well, you know, all the cutting edge that's broader than just the daily environment. So trying to understand, you know, what is happening there. Because I also believe the people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world normally do. I love that type of thinking. So that's sort of what excites me. So I do read a lot, you know, when I do read. Uh, but the, yeah. for now, it's very wide. So trying to do data, um, medical advances, where is technology going for the next couple of years in terms of longevity, you know, all these type of things. So And it's those type of things that really excites me. Yeah, so many great books and resources, Daniel. But you referred to watching sitcoms. So now you have to tell us, what what's your favorite sitcom? So there's actually a couple of them. I do like Scrubs. Um, that's one one that I really do like. It's an old one. Um, at the moment, my wife is forcing me to watch Grey's Anatomy and a lot of the other stuff. So I'm sitting with her through <laughs> that. I am enjoying it, uh, but it wouldn't be my yeah, first there's choice. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so, so it wouldn't be my first choice. But I, but I think, um, yeah, no, Scrubs is definitely one of the, one of the best ones. Um, I'm a Friends fan as well. So I uh, like the Golden Oldies. Uh, so I tend to watch stuff over and over and over. I've, I've, I've done that since being a kid. So that's sort of the things that I like. Okay, some of the classics. If you haven't seen Coach Lasso, that to me is okay. one of the most hysterical shows I've seen in the last year. Okay, I'll definitely give it a, give it a go. And on that note, I know you're also an athlete, a high jumper. So how does being a, an athlete influence your management style? Well, the athlete thing is, was many years ago. So I think I used to be. So, But there's a lot of learning side of it, right? So and I think the main thing is, 
you know, you exercise and you work and there's a lot of pain and stuff that happens behind the screens and no one really sees or value it. I think that's the one big thing. So there's a lot of time and effort that you need to put in, into leadership, you know, trying to build up people, how, how to actually help them become a better version of themselves and also drive and align it to organizations' objectives and also to care, to really care about people. I think that's important. You know, there's no point in just saying, you know, you've got people and we're driving the it's You need to care about, about the human being. And there's going to be pain. There's going to be hardship. Things are not going to go the way. And I think that that empathy thing that, you know, there's a lot of effort that people are putting in. And if thing goes wrong, you know, you're there, you're there to support. That's a really big thing for me. And I think another thing is um, that the sport thing really taught me is tenacity. There's not to give up. That is by far the biggest thing. Resistance is, is a fact of life. You know, anything new is going to be met with resistance and friction. So how do you orchestrate that? You know, what is the best way to do that? And you learn that. So that's over time. That's not something a lot of people or some people are born with it. So other people need to experience it over time. And how do you actually create that as, a, as a something that comes naturally to you? But I think the, the sport thing, you know, discipline, it, it, it is a discipline thing. So you need, to, you need to be disciplined in terms of what you're doing. Um, you need to have empathy with other people and you need to have tenacity. So that's how it yeah, does into yeah. the work. That sums it up so well, Daniel. I always like to end with a question, but I'm going to let you choose either something that has made you absolutely laugh out loud, tears running down your cheeks in the last year, or what are you most grateful for? There's one thing in, that happened during lockdown. So I think that's sort of more the grateful, the, the grateful for thing. So it was a really difficult day, you know, after a hard day at work, you know, things didn't go as you thought it's going to go. And then nice thing about it, when you open the door, you know, basically just open the door and there's my three daughters, you know, dancing, going wild, kicking, screaming, you know, doing, you know, being themselves, likely not fighting, but just being like kids, you know, playing together. And you actually experience this stuff. We previously, I would have taken a couple hours to get back home. So I think it's, it's those type of things that's really valuable. You know, that's actually the times, even though it's tough, have changed and given, given me a window to my life that I didn't know existed, you know, or I missed. So it's these type of things that I'm grateful for to actually, you know, that you're home, you have a family, every, everyone's taken care of. And, um, you know, you can be silly with them. You can experience life and ask them questions. And, and the answers is amazing because they're just seeing life in such a different way. They do also try and kill each other every now and again. And some of the peeping in, people in my <laughs> meetings have actually experienced that. But uh, one thing that's also quite cool is every now and again, they come in and just, just give you a kiss on the cheek and then they go again. So it's, it's those type of things that you can be grateful for. That's so beautiful, Daniel. More time with family is always a wonderful thing. Daniel, thank you so much for sharing that story and for being on The Data Chief. Thank you, Sydney, for having me. It's been really fun. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. Join her on LinkedIn Live the first Thursday of each month for a live version of The Data Chief, where she'll share best practices and take your questions live. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is brought to you by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. 
Finding insights in your company's data doesn't have to be complicated. All you need is search. With ThoughtSpot, anyone in your organization can easily answer their own data questions, find facts, and make better, faster decisions. Learn more at ThoughtSpot.com. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content. The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.